You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today I'm going to run through a couple of uh, quick questions and comments that I got. Primarily, as expected, we're going to be talking about the NFL draft, a couple different interesting ways of looking at things. But before we get there, be sure to get in the Facebook group, uh, nflbigboard.com, for all your draft information. All those links can be found in the description of the show. Once again, I want to remind you and encourage you to jump into iTunes, if and you can, leave a five-star rating and review. And I've got, I I thought about this, I think we're going to do two kind of bonuses here. I've had several requests for a Packers live stream, and I've been trying to decide if I want to do it or not. If you want me to do it, here's the situation. So you already know if we get to 200 reviews, somebody's getting a PFF subscription. If we get to 150 reviews, I will do a Packers live stream, complete with commentary, muggo coffee, probably lots of tacos and pizza. I'm not really sure, but uh, that'll help tip the scales because, like I said, I've been trying to figure out the best way to go about doing it. And again, if there is interest, show me. And again, if you want to be included in the PFF giveaway, just somehow demonstrate to me that you left me a review. Um, one other thing, it's uh, technically somebody texted in, but it's uh, more pertaining to reviews and whatnot than anything else. So before we move on, I want to get to this. I got a message from Raider. I believe I'm saying that correctly. But uh, he messaged me saying he doesn't have a computer and he doesn't have iTunes, but um, he does use CastBox on his phone. CastBox is how he listens to podcasts. They don't have a rating and review system, but he said he talked with someone that told them if they get enough people that push... In other words, push CastBox, they will add a rating and review system. So if you use CastBox, um, if you would like to, uh, push them a little bit. Send them a message saying you'd like to have a rating and review system. Because then if they add that, we would have another thing that we can add ratings and reviews to. Another way for me to be competitive and say I want to beat everybody else. And also, my show is buried on CastBox, and that doesn't make me very happy. And I don't know how to make it go up because there's no rating and review system. There's literally three Pack-A-Day podcasts above mine. I don't know how that's possible. They have Pack-A-Day on there three times before my show even shows up. So I'm not super thrilled about that. It's also buried under shows that probably haven't had an episode in two years. So again, everything podcast-related is sort of garbage. Literally everything. The way that they rank these things, it's frustrating. But anyways, just a thought. I know some people, I I don't have iTunes, so if somebody was bugging me about it, it's like, I, I don't know how to do it, man. But again, just a thought. All right, so the first comment I got was from our friends over at Integrity Construction, and he had a really good point. I made a big deal about uh, Brian Gutekunst being at the ASU Pro Day. Well, well, it turns out ASU is about five to ten minutes away from the where the owners' meeting was being held, which is a very good point. But in the immortal words of Jules Winfield, oh, well, allow me to retort. Apparently, although being only five minutes away, there were only 25 teams that even showed up. Of those 25 teams, there were only five reported GMs at the ASU Pro Day, one of which was Brian Gutekunst. Now, I don't know how accurate those reports are. Maybe there were 32 and a couple just slipped through the cracks. Maybe there were a few more GMs. But if every single GM was at this place, I'm assuming nobody would come out and say, hey, there's five GMs that showed up. 
It would have been, dude, literally 32 GMs are here. This is crazy. So, yeah, probably has something to do with the whole owner's meeting thing being there, but Gutekunst did not have to go in person to that to that pro day. So I'm still going to retain my belief that they do like Nikhil Harry. Obviously, that's dependent on what they thought of his pro day. It's hard to find a lot of information. I know he made a one-handed catch, which is great. Uh, he was somewhat limited. So I, you know, I don't know if he got better or worse on their board, but I, 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 I at least believe that they're looking for a Nikhil Harry type player. Whether or not he's the top prospect for that big slot on their board or not, I don't know. But either way, Gutekunst wanted to get there in person for a reason. And listen, a lot of this isn't the meetings and everything. Usually, don't mean that they really like somebody. A lot of times it means they want more information on somebody. So again, I don't know why every GM wasn't at this ASU Pro Day. There must have been competing interests, maybe talking trades with other GMs, talking whatever with whoever. It's a meeting of the minds at this whole owner's meeting, so maybe there's other business they had to attend to. But I think it would have been a good idea to gather as much information as possible. And it kind of goes back to Gutekunst's philosophy. Maybe he went because he just felt like, why would you not go? Similar to exactly what I'm saying, while his other GMs didn't feel it super necessary. Gutekunst made a reference to the fact that he seems to believe the Packers work harder than everybody, which is a big part of the reason why he said, and I don't know if it was tongue-in-cheek or what, but he was talking about how he wished the draft was right after the college football season because he said that this process allows other people to catch up. So, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just Gutekunst working harder than everybody, being more diligent than everybody. But again, the, the, the point isn't so much that they like somebody. It's, it's information gathering, right? We're try- we, they've already got a board set. This is about refining the board. And there's, there's people on the board who there are question marks. A lot of times, these are the guys that you're going to bring in, right? You want to make sure you're going to get it right. Now, it might be that you're looking at somebody saying, I really, really like him, but I want to be sure that's why you bring him in. So it's possible they're looking at somebody very seriously when they bring him in. At the very least, they're not off the board because why would you bother? But a lot of times it's just about, I don't know where to put you, right? We, we're, we're very split. I don't, we don't know if you are a, a pick 30 or a third round pick. So here I am hollering about maybe Nikhil Harry is going to be a target at 30, which by the way, I hate the word target. I don't think there is such a thing as a target. But in other words, they really, really like him. And it's entirely possible that they're just trying to figure out where to put him and they might land him somewhere mid-second for all I know. I don't know. So just throwing that out there. Meetings and everything else don't necessarily mean anything other than we know that there's at least some interest. That or some kind of a smoke screen, I guess, but I, I don't know, whatever. I find most of these smoke screens, unless you're like picking number one overall, to be kind of nonsense. But that's that. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Um, I got a question from Mr. Andy. 
And I want to try to summarize it a little bit. And I apologize if I didn't get it exactly quite right. But the specific question was how many draft picks are too many to move up or something to that effect. How much is too much to give up? Um, And then, well, so that was sort of the first part. And then the second portion went on to explain, I don't want to trade up in the first. I'd rather trade back, but I'd like to trade up in other, other parts of the draft. And then the third part, which hopefully kind of ties this all together, was, and I think it's a good question, how do you kind of tie that all in as far as, first of all, making sure you don't give away too many picks because you would like to have X amount of people on your roster, right? If, if you've got a hole of, I don't know, six spots, let's just say that just there's just we we absolutely have to have somebody else sitting there like we got guys now but i want six new ones for sure well if you trade away too many picks then you don't have enough and you're just kind of in trouble right pretty unlikely scenario but that's the other that's the one side and then the other side and i don't know again if this was specifically what you meant but you said you wanted to avoid having draft picks sit on the bench which would sort of just be taking that question from the other side which is if you had 50 draft picks obviously the majority of these guys will not make the team. A handful will be on the practice squad, and it was just kind of a waste. So I think it's a good question because it's something that I hadn't really considered. And although my answer is going to be kind of anticlimactic, I do want to kind of look at it because I thought it was sort of interesting. So what I did is I went in here, and I did somewhat of a preliminary 53, except it's not a 53. Basically, it's just looking at the people that I think are going to be on the roster. That or just positions that are probably filled, which can be a little fuzzy, but just bear with me. So I'll run through it very, very quickly. You can agree, you can disagree, but it's more or less just to kind of paint a picture to kind of get the full view of this, to see, you know, okay, yeah, that's a good point. Where are we? I mean, we can have 53. Do we already have 50? Because then in that case, it's going to be tough to make the roster. But anyways, I have Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Kaiser. Please hold your comments until the end. All right, I'll I'll run through it. Why not? We'll we'll, we'll make this part of it. Rodgers is self-explanatory. I know Kaiser is despised and a lot of people like Tim Boyle. I think we still have to keep things in their proper context. I know Tim Boyle showed up to Sean Kaiser quite a bit in camp and all this different stuff. But first of all, let's keep in mind that practice and preseason don't really tell us much. We've had a lot of guys that just kill it in practice and preseason that do nothing in the regular season. Deshaun Kaiser was a second-round pick for a reason. Tim Boyle was undrafted for a reason. I think the Packers are going to... You're, you're not going to trade away Brett Hundley and then trade away another player to bring in Deshaun Kaiser just to get rid of him after a year. That's not going to happen. Regardless of what you think of him, I'm just telling you that's not going to happen. Now again, remember, this is not a prediction of who is not going to make the roster. I'm just saying who is going to, and Rodgers and Kaiser are. Tim Boyle is just an I don't know. If I had to guess, I would say yes, but again, that's not what we're doing here today. Just trying to get, because I, I know how people freak out when you say stuff like this. So for those of you that are freaking out and want to turn the podcast off, let me be very clear what we're doing here. All right, moving on. Running backs, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams should not be all that uh, controversial. Fullback, I just wrote probably. Now, I know a lot of people love Danny Vitale because certain blue checkmark people on Twitter uh, have been referencing how a different coach on a different team utilizes a different player and that player is good. Therefore, Danny Vitale should stay on the team and he'll be a stud. I mean, I, I don't follow that logic, and if you follow the logic, go ahead. But just because a different coach over in San Francisco has a fullback that works out has nothing to do with Danny Vitale. However, I will say there's a good probability that they are going to keep the fullback because they like the fullback, although, as I've said, it's kind of interchangeable between the H-back and the fullback. Sometimes they just use a fullback, or excuse me, a tight end in that sort of fullback slash tight end role. 
and I do think uh, Mercedes Lewis and and or Lance Kendricks could fill that spot. I don't know if Lance Kendricks is going to be on the team, but whatever. But anyways, point is probably going to be a fullback. Wide receiver, Equinemia St. Brown, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Jamon Moore. Why? Because they're rookies or they were rookies, they're going into their second year, I don't think any of them are going to be cut. And for those of you that are saying maybe Jamon won't make it, maybe, but he is the highest pick of anybody on my list not named Devontae Adam. To get rid of him after one year seems silly, especially if a lot of his problems are mental. I know drops can kind of carry over, but still, great route runner, highest upside. I shouldn't say that. He's not going anywhere. Then Geronimo Allison, then Devontae Adams. Tight end, Jimmy Graham, Mercedes Lewis. Why? Because we signed him. We paid him. They're staying. Other than that, I don't have anything. Are they going to get rid of Robert Tanyan? I'm almost a thousand percent sure they're not, but I guess I just don't know. So you can go ahead and tack him on the... I mean, it's it's almost positive they're keeping him, but I just, I don't know. Again, I know a lot of fans love him because he's a Packer and all this other stuff, but is he a very good football player? I don't think so. I think he's on the team because we don't really have any other options. I'm not trying to trash the guy. I'm just saying, if you were to put him in a list and tack him somewhere and say, how good is he? Is he top 10, top 20, top 40? I mean, let's just be serious about it. So I think he'll make the team because he's youth. And because after this year, a good chance Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis are gone, meaning it's just going to be Robert Tanyan and whoever we draft this year and next year, meaning we got to keep him. But that's literally the only reason. But I'm not going to put him on here just because who knows. We might draft two tight ends, and then we have Lewis, Graham, two tight ends, and whatever. Tanyan doesn't make the cut. It's possible. I'm sorry to tell you that. And by the way, yes, Jay Kumaro also did not make the list, nor did Trevor Davis. Trevor Davis probably isn't going to shock anybody. Jay Kumaro will. I'm Again, not predicting. I'm just saying those guys are definitely making it. If we draft more wide receivers, how many exactly do you think we're going to keep? We already have four. If we draft two... Anywhere in the top five rounds, they're going to make the team. That would be six wide receivers, and that's already kind of crazy. I'm sorry to tell you, Kumaro is probably going to be the one guy that's not going to make the team. Anyways, tackles, I just put Bakhtiari and Balaga. Um, I mean, realistically, I should probably just put a spot there. But I'm also erring on the side of not going to make it just because I want the maximum amount of space to be on here. I mean, I'm I'm, 90% sure Spriggs is going to make it, 95 but I don't know. He's not a lock, and I want to make as much space as possible just to kind of illustrate a point here. So I'm just going to say Bakhtiari and Balaga for now. And then for guard, I have Billy Turner, Lane Taylor, and then I just put McCray and Siragusa on one line. Meaning, I don't know that McCray's going to make it. I don't know that Siragusa is going to make it. I think Lane Taylor is at least going to be a backup, so I'm going to say that he makes it. You know, best case scenario, we draft a freakish guard, and we have Billy Turner playing left guard, our new guy playing right guard, or vice versa. Lane Taylor's a backup, and that's awesome. So Billy Turner and Lane Taylor are definitely making it, and then at least one of the McCray Siragusa, so three guards. At center, I have Corey Lindsley. Defensive tackle. Now, this one I think is interesting, because I think it was uh, Sean Luke in the Facebook group who had said something to the effect of, we don't have a position that's 100% satisfied. I think defensive tackle's tricky. Now, based on talent, we can add somebody, there's no question. It would be nice to add at least one more person, especially a really good pass rusher, but here's the thing. Here's my list. Kenny Clark is going to make it. Mike Daniels is going to make it. Dean Lowry is going to make it. Montrevious Adams is going to make the squad. He's a third-round draft pick, or a, yeah, third-round draft pick who took a massive jump from year one to year two. They are not going to cut him. Tyler Lancaster is going to make the team. I'm assuming. I don't know that for sure, but I would be, I listen, highest graded defensive tackle 
behind Kenny Clark. Now, he wasn't as high as Muhammad Wilkerson, but I don't know that I necessarily want to count him because he played very little. But he graded out higher than Dean Lowry, higher than Mike Daniels, higher than Montrevious Adams, higher than Looney and everybody else. Tyler Lancaster is good. I mean, we all know it, but I, I don't know if we necessarily give him the respect that he's due. This is a good football player, and this is also why I've been saying we got a really good defensive line coach, which I suppose the counter-argument to what I'm saying now, which isn't so much a counter-argument, but whatever, is draft a stud defensive tackle in the first round and see what our defensive line coach can do with him. I bet he can do some special stuff, and you're probably right. I'm just saying I don't see how we get rid of Tyler Lancaster after a year like he just had. And yes, I'm adding James Looney to the list as well. Now, James Looney, I should probably take him off, but I'm not going to. James Looney was a good football player. He didn't play very much, but he did a good job in his limited snaps, and he was drafted. He's not an undrafted guy. All right, fine, I'll take him off. I'll take him off, but I do think he's going to make it. The only reason I'm taking him off is because I'm not putting everybody else on that's probably going to make it. If Spriggs isn't making it, I guess Looney shouldn't make it. But Lancaster, Adams, Daniels, Lowry, and Clark are all on my lock list. Now at edge rusher, I've got uh, the two Smith brothers and then Kyler Fackrell, and that's it. And even Fackrell, I kind of put in that Robert Tanyan category. Again, I like Fackrell. I like what he did. I think he's a versatile piece. I think he's a good player. But I think if we were more stacked at that position, he wouldn't be a lock. I think he's only a lock because even if we draft two guys, I just, I don't know. I mean, if we get Brian Burns, even so, you tell me we don't want four? I mean, if we get Brian Burns and then a guy in the third who's really, really good, I I still think probably going to keep Fackrell. I mean, five is not a crazy number. If anything, we need to draft two just so that we have five, including Fackrell. Anyways, linebacker Martinez and Burks. I don't think that should be overly hard to figure out. Cornerback Jair, King, Jackson, and I am going to put Tremont here. I think we're paying him pretty good money. The only reason really you'd want to cut Tremont is more or less to free up some money if there was something that we wanted to do with that money. But, you know, I I think he's the second best cornerback that we have on the team. He's a veteran presence. He's a good leader, um, great locker room person. So, yeah, I think he stays. And then safety, Adrian Amos and Josh Jones. I am putting Josh Jones on the lock list. That's kind of risky territory, but I'm kind of, first of all, because of his youth, I think he's sort of that one more year candidate. Beyond that, he did take a little bit of a step, which is nice. But then also the whole aspect of we just don't have anybody. And yes, even if we draft two guys, I don't think we're going to have a problem with four. And that's only assuming we draft two and they're both better than Jones right out of the gate so that they're confident enough that they're just not even going to put him on the 53-man roster. I just don't think that's going to happen. So I have them as a lock. And then we have Crosby, Scott, and our long snapper, who I just listed as long snapper because I don't really know that Hunter is all that great. So that brings our... Uh, group to 35 guys. So why is this interesting? What are we talking about? Well, here's the situation. If that's 35 that are definitely going to make the team, and we draft 10 people, and we'd like to have those 10 people on our roster, that brings us down to eight available roster spots. And by the way, that doesn't include any undrafted free agents, but let's just say it brings us down to eight. That leaves eight spots for, first of all, any undrafted free agents we want to keep, and Boyle, Kumaro, Trevor Davis, Robert Tanyan, uh, McCray or Saragusa, though everyone didn't make it, Lucas Patrick, Adam Pankey, Alex Light, Jason Spriggs, DeBeer, Tony Brown, Raven Green, James Crawford, Reggie Gilbert, Kendall Donerson, also guys like um, Lance Kendricks, Ibrahim Campbell, Muhammad Wilkerson, if we decide to bring any of those guys back. We only have eight spots for all those guys and any undrafted free agent spots. 
So I, th- I do think that that's kind of interesting, and it, it's kind of a cool way of looking at it because it makes me less anxious about using a couple of these picks to move up because every extra guy that we draft is a guy that's not going to make the team. So if, if we decide to draft all 10 spots and not move at all, then we get a 10th guy maybe instead of, I don't know, maybe instead of Kumaro, maybe instead of uh, Siragusa, maybe instead of Robert Tanyan. Now, ultimately, here's my thought on this. I don't think this matters all that much. I think a team would want to have as many picks as possible. I think if the team could have 50 picks, they would have 50 picks. Even if they're told you're not allowed to trade up with the 50 picks, you just have to pick 50 players, they would take it. Because ultimately, what are you doing? You're getting as many athletes in the building as you possibly can to compete, and then you pick the best, you kind of navigate what to do with the rest. Practice squad, whatever, or just flat out cut them. So it's a needed exercise to kind of look at it from that standpoint. Also for me to look at it and say, wow, there's actually not that many spots. Because I do think Tim Boyle's going to make it. I do think Tanyan's going to make it. I think there's a very good chance several of these offensive linemen are still going to be there. That McCray and Siragusa, plus either Lucas Patrick, Adam Pankey, Alex Light, Jason, I mean, Jason Spriggs is probably going to be there. Um, Not a huge Raven Green fan. I know some people are. Tony Brown, I think, is way overrated by Packers fans, although I was one of the first ones to say I really like him. But overall, I don't think he really stayed up to that standard. I think his undrafted free agentness kind of spilled through. Uh, Kendall Donerson, Reggie, you know, whatever. There's not that many just open available spots where it's just a matter of, well, we have an opening, you just slide in there now. No, this is going to be, this is competition. But again, that's that's kind of what we want. So anyways, with that information and kind of working backwards into your question now, um, I've actually spent a little bit of time thinking about this, at least insofar as 12 is concerned. I know you said you don't want to trade up, and I think I tend to agree. I think there's sort of three tiers is kind of how I'm viewing it right now. There's the elite tier, which in my mind, again, debatable, but that's fine. Sort it how you want. There's the top two guys that stand alone, Quinnen Williams and Nick Bosa. The only situation in my mind in which we trade up is if they fall down to four, four or later. That's the only situation in which I say we trade up to where we don't have to give up, you know, Basically, it's the first two draft picks, and I hate that idea. I don't want to do that, but that's the only situation is that I would move up for those two guys. After that, I think there's a secondary tier. The secondary tier are the guys that I call, uh, reference as studs, and I should probably I, I should probably use a different word because it doesn't really capture what I'm trying to say. I think freaks is probably the best way to put it, and I know the first two guys, the first two guys are, are beyond freaks. I don't know, whatever. Second tier in my mind is Derwin James, right? A guy that you just watch, and it's like, this guy's different there are not many guys that can do what he can do. Now, Derwin James was never going to be the first overall pick, second overall pick. You know, maybe he had validity to be a top five guy, but that was Derwin James. Special kind of person. Now, with tier two, I think the philosophy or the strategy would be, ideally, we stay put and see if any of these guys fall to us. If they don't, we trade back. That's just my general thought. Not that we absolutely have that option because you have to negotiate a trade back get the compensation you want, move to the spot that you want, which is a pretty small window. You don't want to go back too far, so, you know, but you kind of want to move back to get enough compensation to make it worth your while. So we're talking about what? Maybe 10 teams at the most, and they have to want to trade up and want to give up compensation for it, which could be a third or second round pick. So keep that in mind. You can't just say, okay, I'm trading now, call up the the Titans and be like, hey man, you're taking our spot, we're taking your second round pick, good talk, click. But I think in general, that's kind of where I'm at. 
because tier three, as I've said, is really just a, a, a group from about 10 to 60. And I haven't actually, I should probably do that. I should probably just, I don't know, get a more specific number, but that's just the number I'm rolling with. And again, as many picks as we can in that range. Now, here's the cool thing, because I hadn't really thought about this until you asked that question, Andy, but as far as outside of round one, where would we like to trade? And it's possible that we could not only have our three picks in the top, you know, in that sort of third tier, but we can get a fourth pick if we trade back in round our our 12th overall pick, which I have said before, we could actually get a fifth pick if we trade up from the third round. We could feasibly get five of these guys in that sort of 10 to 60 range, that tier three range. So for example, if we packaged our third round pick with our first fourth round pick, because we have two of them, we could move up to about 61, 62-ish, which isn't exactly top 60, but you know, it's really just a question of, is there still somebody left? Is there still somebody, and, and if you think about it, if there are 60 guys, the odds that the top 60 guys are gone by 60 is zero, right? If you've got a, a group between 10 and 60 that you just absolutely love and would absolutely trade up for, the odds that they're all gone by 60 is zero. So there, there's going to be five or six or seven of these guys that just happen to fall for whatever reason. I mean, this is the part, even in the second round, where it starts to split. Some teams really like guys that other teams are just like, oh, I wouldn't have touched them in the fourth round. Now, actually, if we have a top 60, I don't think we trade up to 62 because, again, there's going to be probably six or seven. We're going to wait and see if it's possible somebody falls to 75. And if they start flying off, maybe we move up to the top of round three or something. But let's just say there's there's like a top 50. Well, again, if we trade back with Tennessee, we could take their second round pick. So we would have pick 19, pick 30, pick 44, pick 51. And then if we package those picks, we could have like pick 61. So, again, five five guys in that sort of top tier just for fun let's see what we could do with something like that so as i've said i like the reason i keep talking about the titans is for number one the value i think it's a good value that they would offer number two because that's about what it would take for the titans to move up to 12 who they would take i don't know that's not the point the other reason i like it is because the pittsburgh steelers are almost 100,000 percent going to take devin bush if he falls to them it would be kind of studly to take devin bush right in their face at least to satisfy a few Packers fans who are still mad about TJ Watt, which isn't their fault necessarily, but still, haha. At 30, let's just stick with the tight end thing. I think there's a possibility Noah Fant is still there, so let's just say he is and let's take him here. At 44, we get a guy like Chris Lindstrom to play guard, which would just be fantastic. At 50, you can double down and get it, or not double down. This this whole thing is doubling down. I'm just, it's like, it's like walking up to a buffet with those little dumb tiny plates they give you. Can you just give me a man's plate, please? I know what you're trying to do, but I'm not afraid to make trips. It's just annoying me. I'm actually going to eat more food now because you're just upsetting me. And yet I'm going to take two plates and I'm going to mound it. And I hope food falls on the floor so you can have to clean it up. Because that wouldn't happen if you just gave me a big plate. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's get back to this. These dinky little plates. Now I got to get mashed potatoes and gravy on my pizza. Anyways. At 50, we can get our safety. You probably got a guy like Jonathan Abram, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson just sitting right there. And I deliberately waited until the end because I think there's going to be a bunch of wide receivers that end up falling. If you look at the, the list of guys, Calvin Harmon, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Paris Campbell, Hakeem Butler, Riley Ridley, lots of these guys um, probably would, could possibly be in this range. Other options if we decided to do so. Could take an edge rusher somewhere. Whether If we wanted to do it with our last pick, say Jalen Ferguson, um, 
uh, O'Shane Zimenez. I mean, you could do a lot of stuff, but that's exactly my point. This is kind of what we're at down here at 60. You got Eric McCoy, if you think you can play guard. Hakeem Butler, I like Hakeem Butler a lot. Paris Campbell, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. These are the guys like in that 60 range, which is why I've been saying kind of good until 60. Again, Jalen Ferguson is an option. If, if he's sort of like the last edge rusher that the Packers think that they can get, fine, go up and get him, man. Quick run. How about Chase Winovich? I like Chase, man. It's another guy they could move up for. So again, I mean, you just look at all of these names and the, the possibilities sort of in this range. You don't really start to fall off until you get to about right in this range here. Right, Gerald Willis is at 67. Just, yeah, I don't, I don't like Gerald Willis. I mean, there's still guy. I mean, I'm trying to, like, keep going and say, oh, look, this guy's not good. But David Edwards out of Wisconsin, 73 on the big board. Daryl Henderson, PFF freak. Joe Jackson, yeah. I don't know that he's a, a trade-up candidate. He might be a, if we decide not to trade-up candidate. But that's exactly what I'm talking about. You get Jermaine Pratt, um, whatever. It falls off, right? Once you get down here, it's kind of like these are kind of the Elijah Holyfield type guys that just not really doing it for me. But I think you can get some studs, man. I think there's some tier three studs. You know, are you going to get Jawan Taylor back at, uh, you know, 19 or 20? No, probably not. But the question is, how much better is Jawan Taylor than Devin Bush? How much better is, you know, Cleland Furl than Andre Dillard? How much better is Jonah Williams than Cody Ford? Right, it's not a big drop off. So then the final question here, and yes, I've kind of taken this question a lot of different routes. But who are the guys, if they're on the board, you don't trade back? Well, I've already said Quinnen and Bosa are guys that you move up for. Josh Allen, Ed Oliver, Brian Byrne. I that might be it for me, man. I mean I listen, I'm open. If if you think Devin White is a guy, if you think Devin Bush is a guy that you have to take at twelve, you don't trade back and see if he's there. That's fine. For me though, you know, I'm not going to say Montez. I've never been a huge Montez Sweat fan. I know he's an absolute freak. So it's it's tempting to put him in that category because just like Ed Oliver, he's an absolute freakish athlete and his upside on an NFL football field is through the roof. So he's maybe kind of on the fence for me. Um, I'm not going to put TJ Hawkins in there, although I do. That's another one I could understand. The The biggest problem is if, if we don't take him at 12, he's not going to be there at 30. So if, if we stick with my strategy, I'm essentially taking him off the board and saying we're not getting TJ Hawkinson. If the plan is either one of these three or we trade back, then we're just we're just not getting them. So I don't know. It's, it's a tough conversation to have. But right now, that's that's kind of it, I think. Josh Allen, Ed Oliver, Brian Burns, and then kind of on the fence with Devin White, Montez Sweat, and TJ Hawkinson. So yeah, there you go. Felt good to kind of flesh that one out. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so the next and I believe final question, it's actually a two-parter, but uh, the second part will have to wait because that's a whole deal in and of itself. But there was a request for, let's see, Sutton Smith. Now, Sutton Smith is actually pretty interesting. I had forgotten um, how much I like Sutton Smith, but it's a little bit of an anomaly. I could see a case for him going maybe like in the third round-ish. I could see him going like seventh round-ish. If I had to guess, I would say like fifth, sixth round. 
So let's start with Pro Football Focus because that's going to be the absolute best view of him. He is one of the few people out of all these prospects, and there are a lot. I wanted to see if they said how many guys that they had on this list, but I'm not seeing it. But it's it's hundreds. He is one of maybe like 10-ish that had a 90 or higher grade overall. His overall grade was 91.4. Now, he played for NIU, so again, remember, they don't account for competition. It's going to be a little less competition. I mean, it's not a D3 school or anything. But overall, um, and by the way, last year, his grade was 93.8, or two years ago, I guess. So he's been solid for two straight years. The one thing that shocks me, and we'll get into specifics in a little bit, but just looking at the grades, his pass rush grade was a 90.3, which is elite. His run defense grade is a 90.4. That is the biggest knock against him is that he doesn't have the, he's too small. So just so we are, are on the same page here, PFF lists him at six foot 233, which is what he weighed in at, but he was seen as being even smaller than that coming into the combine. So it's possible he bulked up a little bit. I see the draft network has him listed at 225 pounds. He's a small dude. And then speaking of the draft network, if you look at what some of their write-ups are on him, basically it's it's all the praise in the world about his ability to rush the passer because he's he's really fast. He's fast and he's got good bend, although he's somewhat limited because of his size as a pass rusher. But they, they really seem to like him as a pass rusher. But I, when they get to the part about, well, how good is he as a run defender, they're like, oh, he's, he's garbage. He can't do anything. He just gets washed out. Here's what Kyle Krabs had to say. Total wash. Gets pushed around and bullied too easily by all comers. Won't stack up uh, skill players assigned. Oh, yeah. Won't stack up skill players assigned blocking reps and gets absolutely murdered by long armed offensive tackles. Doesn't really have an answer for bullies and people movers at the point of attack. As far as going back to PFF, again, really good grade. And as a run stopper, he had 41 solo tackles, 9 assists, 9 missed tackles, and 47 stops. Now, as I've referenced before, stops are very specific metrics. It's 40%, I believe. Uh, less than 40% gain on first down. So if it's first and 10, no more than four yards. I forget what second down is. And then on third and fourth down, it's basically don't allow a first down. If you make an impact play, if you tackle in those given parameters, it's considered a stop. Because again, a tackle isn't all consuming. So this is basically stops are how many tackles that actually matter did you make. And he made 47. The year before that, he made 52. For reference, uh, Josh Allen had 51. So pretty similar. But really, I, I kind of think that's going to be the defining thing. If PFF is correct, he could he could be as high as a second-round pick. With his speed and uh, an ability to stop the runner, to stop the run, I, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't see why he couldn't be a second-round pick. By the way, to reference what he does as a passer, 870 total snaps in 2018. Of that, 464 of those were pass rush snaps. He had a grand total of 65 total pressures. 15 sacks, 12 quarterback hits, 38 hurries. That's 14%, almost on the nose, which is to say 14% of the time when he had to go get the quarterback, he made an impact, whether it was a sack, a hit, or a hurry. Those are good numbers. And again, there's the consistency factor. In 2017, very similar. 16 sacks, 14 hits, 65 hurries, which is just impossible. That's 95 pressures. That's 22.5%. That's, those are Nick Bosa numbers. As a pass rusher, those are Nick Bosa numbers. That's why he was given a 93.8 grade last year by PFF. So here's kind of my thought on Sutton Smith. I think 
more than likely he he will be a situational pass rusher, but I, I think it's also possible. Let's just say the Packers do pick him up. Let's say we get him in the fifth round. I think it be, could be kind of cool to have him as a inside linebacker that is also a situational pass rusher that is also a special teams ace, right? He's, he's, he makes the roster on special teams. He plays as a number three linebacker. You know, it gives us a little bit of depth at linebacker, depending on what Oren Burks does with his speed. His pass rush ability isn't necessarily not utilized. And then, you know, third downs, he can go to the outside and, and pressure. He's just a piece. He's a chess piece. And I'm not saying he's a full-time linebacker. I think that's going to be Blake Martinez and hopefully somebody else, but possibly Oren Burks. But I think he could be a piece at linebacker, a piece at outside linebacker, a piece on special teams. And probably that's where he's going to make most of his hay is going to be on special teams. I think he could be a very good special teams contributor. And I think the biggest knock against him in general, according to PFF especially, but it, it, the the big the biggest complication there's going to be to making him an inside linebacker is that his coverage grade was garbage. It wasn't terrible in 2017, but in 2016 and 18 it was terrible. I shouldn't say terrible. It was in the 60s, which technically is average, but you know, compared to everything else and compared to a lot of guys coming out of college, compared to college players, 60 it's just not very good. It doesn't really point to him being able to do it. Now the final thought that I had in regards to the Packers taking him specifically is does he fit the standard of where we're headed? I like these guys. I like Sutton Smith. Similar to, again, I have my prototypes that I like and that I respect that I understand are not really the way things are anymore. Not to say that certain teams don't still utilize the Sutton Smiths. I think the Chiefs do, or did. They're changing scheme now. right? Certain teams don't mind that. I think the Rams still utilize a lot of that. All right, I like my, my hitters as linebackers. That's, that's old school. That's not a thing anymore, but I still like it. And I like lean, fast, bendy pass rushers. And I miss on a lot of guys because there's certain guys like Dante Fowler. I like Dante Fowler when he came out because he was that just sort of lean, bendy guy. That's why I like Brian Burns. I didn't expect everybody to jump on the, the train because lean, bendy, fast, get to the quarterback type guys, that's my guy. I just assumed it's like, well, I like him because it's my prototype. Nobody else is going to like him. Well, everybody came flooding in all of a sudden. It's like, oh, I guess maybe he's kind of good. Guess who knows stuff. But Sutton Smith kind of fits that role. However, although somebody might take him as a situational pass rusher in the third round, fourth round, whatever, the question for me is, do the Packers want this kind of guy? I've been saying this for over a year now. It seems to me that we're moving more toward the Nick Perry types, the 260, 270-pound guys. That was solidified by getting two more pass rushers who are even bigger than Nick Perry to play our outside linebacker role. I said about a year ago, it feels like we're moving to a 4-3 scheme with the guys that we're getting here. Now, the 4-3-3-4 thing is kind of useless at this point. We are a 4-3 team and a 3-4 team. It just depends on situation, down and distance, all that kind of stuff. But we are we, we seem to be getting a lot more of the 4-3 defensive end type guys than we are the 240, 250-pound lean pass rush specialists. The guys that, you know, they got one move, and it's to fire off the line, bend around the corner, and get to the quarterback. It just doesn't seem like that's a thing anymore. And again, the more I look at it, the more I don't mind, because the interior pressure is becoming so much more of a thing. Linebackers and corners bringing bringing pressure is so much more of a thing. So you kind of have this ability to create pressure. And again, if you just break it down into percentages, if you can get a bunch of guys that are 12% across the board, and you've got five guys across your front, three defensive interior guys and two outside linebackers, well, if you just 
add those up, which granted that's not exactly how this works, but we're talking about 60%. We're in and around a 50% chance that somebody is going to be getting pressure on every single one of these pass rushing snaps. And again, you add in the 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 scheme to try to add more pressures, to scheme your guys over there, to scheme the linebackers, scheme the corners, scheme the safeties, and you just you have this defensive unit that as a unit brings pressure from all over the place, but you also have the versatility and the lack of bust potential by not having Sutton Smiths out there that are just going to get wrecked against the run. What exactly can you do against a defense that can bring pressure? Nobody's like like the Bears have Khalil Mack, which is super heavy to one side and then nothing on the other side. The the biggest problem the Bears have is you the Packers have the ability to just kind of run away from them. Not that that's ideal, but if you run to the other side, you're fine. If you bring an extra blocker to block block Khalil Mack, the odds that anybody else is going to get there kind of fall down. I, I think if I had to put money on someone, I'd say Khalil Mack is going to beat the double team before Acho or whoever else they've got on the other side now actually breaks through past David Bakhtiari. So again, the question is, is a 230-pound outside linebacker going to be drafted by the Green Bay Packers? And I'm saying, I just don't see it. But who knows? That does seem to be the thing when we deliberately go out, especially in free agency, and do it. We do seem to be going to get those bigger guys. But Vince Beagle wasn't all that big. He also wasn't all that good. But uh, Kendall Donerson, I think, is 250. So, I mean, that's a far cry from 235, but it's also not exactly 260, 270. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Even Vince Beagle, I think, was 250. So, if the team is trending more toward heavy edge guys, just heavy in general, up front anyways, would they really go out and get a guy like Sutton Smith? But that would be my argument if I was in the, the boardroom in one of those meetings with those guys is, look, he's a piece. We're not using him just as an edge rusher. He's not just going to be an every-down guy. He's not going to be out there in running situations. He's going to go out as an outside linebacker on 3rd and 15 when your one job is to go get the quarterback. But anyways, that's what I got for you folks. I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. I will talk to you as always tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.